Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Jerry the Medic uh, joins us here. Jerry Desjardins, who reminded me that it is Emergency Preparedness Week. Jerry, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Thanks a lot for uh, the text the other day reminding me that that is uh, happening today. And um, I, uh, I'm i approaching life much differently now when it comes to stuff like this after COVID-19. Um, when Jerry was on the show a while ago talking about first aid kits, I said, I'll buy one. I bought one. I've got it here now. I would never have thought about having that around the house before, but I'm glad I've got it now. And it's a purchase that I made uh, from Jerry over at Accurate uh, Fire and Safety because I really do think we need to be more prepared. Now, not that the first aid kit was going to help with COVID-19, but I think you get where I'm coming from, Jerry. Are you seeing a lot of that, people wanting to be better prepared? We are because no one expected this virus to hit us so quickly and so hard, and a lot of people were unprepared. So now people are researching and they're shopping and they're picking up supplies. I mean, even myself at the fire department, uh, we were caught uh, unguarded because did we pre-stock up on gloves and masks and hand hand sanitizer, stuff like that? No, we didn't because we didn't know this was coming. So uh, with having an emergency preparedness kit and having extra supplies, you have stuff readily available on hand now that when a disaster hits, either natural or man-made, and how many disasters have hit in the last little while? We've had flooding. Yep. We've had wildfires. We had a tornado hit Eli years ago. Uh, we've mm-hmm. had a train derailment in Quebec and that. Um, so, you know, disasters can happen anytime, place, anywhere. And someone comes and bangs on your door. You've got a police officer. You've got a conservation. You have a firefighter. You have someone with a person of authority, and they bang on your door, and they say, you have three minutes to evacuate. Well, what can you scrounge up in three minutes that Mm -hmm. you and the family can live out of in a bag for minimum 72 hours? Right, and if you've got a kit, a kit already prepared, that's easy to grab that in a couple minutes. You know, you talk about disasters, twisters, and there's big disasters. Uh, this pandemic would certainly be considered a disaster in one sense, but then it can just be weather, right? I mean, it can be a blizzard in the winter, or it can be maybe overland flooding near your farm uh, in the springtime. So um, disasters, being prepared for disasters of different types, uh, is important year-round. So what needs to be in one of these emergency preparedness kits? Because that's what the Awareness Week is all about, making sure people have these kits, whether they buy one from somebody like you or or whether they put their own together. And I guess the good thing is you can sort of customize them, right? You can. And, I mean, you can buy it pre-made, like you just said. Uh, Red Cross puts different kits together. They make a one-person kit two-person kit, a four-person kit, so you buy the size of the kit dependent on how many is in your family and you need to look after and protect. Um, you can also put your own kit together, grab a, an old knapsack, grab a gym bag, and then you can get the list. Um, you can go to redcross.ca and they have a list there that says build a kit. You can also go to getprepared.gc.ca and they have a list there. Uh, the federal government's famous saying is um, to um, know the risks and have a plan and get a kit. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what's in these kits. What's typically in an emergency preparedness kit? Sure. So I actually laid all the items out on my counter here. And so we have an emergency uh, rain poncho 
We have a first aid kit. We have a collapsible 10-liter water container. We have water purification tablets. So you get some water. You don't know if it's 100% safe, so then you put the uh, purification tablet in there. We have uh, plastic sheeting and duct tape. So if they say shelter in place at home or at work, and you have a crack in your door or window, or you have a hole at the bottom of your door that any outside air can come in, you want to seal that up. We have biohazard waste bags. We have the emergency food rations. We have a solar crank flashlight with radio. There's no batteries in it because you know they're either going to be dead when you need it or they're going to leak, or the kids are going to put them in a toy car, right? So this way it's dual. It's a solar-powered plus crank. We have a dust mask. We have an SOS uh, banner. We have one of those emergency space blankets, the big shiny ones that open up big. We have uh, Kleenex. We have a pocket knife, multi-purpose pocket knife. We have a 40-hour candle. We have a whistle in it for signaling. We have waterproof matches, and we have gloves in there as well, too. Excellent. And, again, you can buy those kits. They're kind of all over the place. I know you've got some at Accurate Fire and Safety. And then um, I understand you're going to be doing uh, – you've got to go ahead now to do some training too, eh, Jerry? We do. Uh, so uh, as of May 4th, uh, Red Cross has uh, sent out a memo that, uh, you know, adhering to the new provincial health regulations that we're able to resume training. So we're going to space people out. We're going to have masks for people, hand sanitizer for people. Uh, They all get their own CPR mask. Uh, We're going to have some different mannequins that we're going to do our demos on and that. Uh, But we, of course, want everybody to be safe. But still, there are organizations and groups and people out there that have to still be first aid certified and current first aid certified. So, I mean, we have doctors and nurses and firefighters and paramedics and security guards, etc. So they can't let it lapse. So it's nice that we now have the authorization to go, and it's Mm -hmm. going to be full steam ahead for us to do training again. Excellent. Jerry, thanks a lot for doing this. Jerry Desjardins, Jerry the Medic. And in just a second, we're going to talk to the voice of the Bombers, CGOB's Bob Irving. But uh, one more clip here of CFL Commissioner Ambrosi. Here's what he has to say about the season, the CFL season. Our best case scenario for this year is a drastically truncated season. And our most likely scenario is no season at all. We are currently operating on the money our fans and to a lesser extent the broadcasters and sponsors pay us in advance for games. The day is fast approaching when we will have to cancel several games and perhaps the season. And then our fans and our partners will have every right to demand their money back. At that moment, our financial crisis will become very real and very big. Bob Irving, come on in here. Let's talk about this. I said earlier I could sit down and probably make a pretty good case either way, why the CFL should get some money, some tax dollars from Ottawa, and why the CFL maybe shouldn't get any. Um, where are you at on this, Bob? I'm, I'm having a difficult time with it. Well, I would understand the arguments on both sides, Hal. There are, certainly are arguments on both sides. I think the specter, first of all, for people who would be against this, the very specter of our government helping, quote-unquote, professional sport just rubs people the wrong way. You know, and they don't need to have an intimate knowledge of, of the details of it. It's simply pro sport why are we giving those guys any money, those high-paid athletes? Well, it's a little bit different in the Canadian Football League. The players, most of them, are not quote-unquote high-paid the yeah. way you think about players in the NHL or the National Football League or Major League Baseball. Um, 
so I, you know, again, I can see where in this rather unique time in our in our lives, where the government is doling out tons of money here, there, and everywhere, uh, to, mostly to, well, I say mostly, largely in its opinion, to people who need it, or groups who need it, or companies mm-hmm. who need it. Uh, you know, where does pro sport come into that equation? So. I get that argument. Uh, at the same time, and obviously I'm, I have a bias here, Hal, that would be apparent yeah. to everybody, uh, as open-minded as I would be about this, uh, the Canadian Football League, I feel, is an important part of the, the fiber and the, the makeup of the Canadian identity. Certainly not everybody cares about it, but many millions of people do in this country of ours. And the thought of it not being in existence, uh, to me, is incomprehensible. Uh, You know, I just I can't imagine a a Canada without the Canadian Football League. And so at what point should the government go to try and make sure that the CFL stays alive? And I don't for a minute, Hal, think that league is going to fold. I refuse to believe that. I think whatever happens, whatever happens here, they will find a way to carry on as they always have. Now, that might be a very simplistic view of things from from my end. But I just can't imagine that there won't be forces at work to make sure that this league survives, regardless of what the federal government does in terms of this request for money. So, yeah, it's not an easy one for a lot of people. And I, again, I get that uh, for those of us who are close to the league. And look, I could be accused of, of uh, saying, well, you want, you want the government to support it because that's how you make your living. Look. Hell, I'm not going to be making my living at this for much longer. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's very short term for me. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, don't throw that one at me. I, you know, I'm going to carry on with or without the Canadian Football League and be just fine because I'm at that stage of my life where yeah. I'm ready to to kind of walk into the retirement phase. Uh, but I just have a you know a love for the league and a love for the game and. I'm a big fan of Ambrosi's. I think he's doing the best he can do. And he was criticized yesterday for not having more specifics yeah. about where the money would go. Well, yeah. you know, and maybe that's a fair comment, but this stuff is also so new, uh, th- this whole pandemic uh, issue and all the problems it's created. I mean, obviously the money's going to go, as Randy said in that clip that you played, to repay season ticket uh, people who put their money mm-hmm. on the line. Corporate sponsors have already put money on the line with the Bombers. I don't know if they've had an advance on the TV money or not, but if they had, that'll have to be paid back if there's no season at all. So I think Randy did. uh, He did, you know, enunciate some of the areas where the money would go. Yeah. As I said, I think he made a pretty solid case for the fact, and and you're right, Bob, you know, we're not talking about a bunch of multi-multi-millionaires here. The league as a whole and many of its teams lose money every year. The players aren't making the kind of money that the players in the NHL and some of the other pro leagues uh, make. And the CFL is a real part of the fabric of our communities whether it's here in winnipeg and in manitoba or in in other cities it's less important in other cities and provinces uh than it is here i wonder though and i think initially the cfl is asking for 30 million dollars which listen it's 30 million dollars but in the big picture it's not a ton of money and I don't want people to get mad when I say that, but it's not. In the big picture, it's not a ton of money. And then I wonder if the teams like the Bombers and these other teams are sort of waiting to see what happens because I think if if they don't get a bunch of money from Ottawa, and I think that's probably the likely scenario, they might get some, but if they don't get a bunch of money, 
I wonder if teams will turn to their fans because I kind of think that's where they need to turn if they don't get federal help. They need to turn to their fans, the diehard people, and say, we need your help on this. It's funny, you know, I was thinking about that this morning. They could start a GoFundMe page, Hal. Yep. Uh, the league. <laughs> and I, right. I laugh when I say that, and I'm sure if Wade Miller heard me say that, he wouldn't be laughing. He'd, he'd think that's a, <laughs> that's a bad that's a bad joke. But I suppose, yeah, you know, what you just said is a, is a possibility. And, and if the federal government doesn't come up with any money, as I say, there will be forces at work. The teams in yeah. the various provinces will approach the provincial governments for help. Uh, I would expect they'll approach their cities for help, and they'll want to lean on their fans to some degree, for sure. I think a couple of other things that I would point out when uh, Kevin Waugh brought up a good point with Jeff Courier. He's an MD out of Saskatoon, a former broadcaster. As a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. I know Kevin. And he said the one thing that he has a hard time swallowing is giving millions of dollars to, for example, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, who own the Argos, uh, David Braley, who owns the BC Lions, is a very, very wealthy man. Bob Young, who owns the Hamilton Tiger Cats, has lots of money. So these private owners, I mean, it, you could make the argument that these private owners should pony up the money themselves. But here's what I would say to that. And I think Ambrosi again stated this beautifully. These guys, certainly they have lots of money. They're very wealthy, and they have poured millions into this league over the years. David Braley, uh, Hal, has poured millions of dollars into the Canadian Football League and received little in return. These people are sports philanthropists, and they believe in the league. David Braley and Bob Young and, and the owners in Ottawa now, they believe in the CFL. They want to see it survive, and they're prepared to write big checks to keep it going. But they'll only go so far. Okay, this is the point Ambrosi made. You know, you can say, well, you got wealthy private owners. They can uh, foot the bill. All well and good to say that. But at some point, these sports philanthropists who have a lot of money will say, wait a minute. You know, I've gone pretty far in this. This is far enough. I can't go any further. So that's mm-hmm. the concern that Ambrosi has about that. So, uh, And the other thing was he was criticized for not bringing the players more into it. Well... This is a tough one for me. Let's say they cancel the season and they can't play the season. The Bombers have already put out close to a million dollars in signing bonuses for people like Zach Kolaris, Willie Jefferson, and, and the other teams are all in the same boat. You know, they give these players upfront money, and they've already paid that out, close to a million bucks uh, for those guys. But if the season is canceled... Uh, what do you do with the rest of the players? Should you give them a portion of their salary? Because typically players get paid for playing games, right? This is the way it works in pro sport. You get paid for playing games. And yes, if you get a signing bonus, that's all well and good. But then you get the rest of your money when you play the game. So, you know, are people saying that Ambrosi should, if he gets some money from the federal government, give the players, let's say the season's canceled. Do you take the 50 players on the Bombers and give them 35 grand each? Just as a goodwill sort of payment, yeah, we know you, you know you've lost your job for the year, but we're going to give you some money because you know you're going to go through some hard times replacing that income. Uh, you, you know, I mean, is that the kind of thing that the league should do? That, that's a tough one for me. I, I don't know what the answer to that one is, but my guess is when the government said to Ambrosi, "What's the player's role in this?" That's what they were asking: is is are you, is some of this money? If we give you some money, are you going to give some directly to the players, even if they don't play any games this year? And, and so it's it, it's a little bit complicated in that area. 
Yeah, and then other people have said, well, wait a minute, uh, are we going to be giving Canadian tax dollars to American players that don't play any games this year? There have been some people that, that have brought up that as as a, a, a possible concern. Hey, Rudy just texted in 204-780-6868, Bob. Rudy says, see, uh, CFL sell shares, question mark. Do you think uh, something like that might happen? That's been done in other cities yeah. with sports teams before. Well, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, did that many years ago when they had uh, all sorts of problems staying alive and had fundraisers virtually every year for a period of time. They sold shares. I don't know if that would work or not, Hal. Again, there's many different things that are going to have to be talked about if they don't get some help from the federal government. And uh, I assure you that the league will be very creative in attempting to come up with different ways to to raise the funds they need to keep going. Mm -hmm. So... That's uh, that's certainly one uh, one way to do it. Uh, I, yeah, and I, I, when I said it's complicated, it is complicated. It because is. There are no easy answers here in terms of how you get through this. Yeah, we may have to get further into this, you know, before we start getting some answers to all these questions. Another thought I had, Bob, and a few people have brought this up. Does this mean if we don't have a CFL season this year, does it mean the Bombers are Grey Cup champs again? And maybe that's what the Bombers <laughs> need to do. Do a special uh, yeah. Grey Cup uh, t-shirt, you know, the only CFL team, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, to be back-to-back Grey Cup, two-year Grey Cup champs, sell the T-shirts for 200 bucks a pop. I'd buy one for 200 bucks just to support uh, uh, the Bombers. I don't know. Maybe they got get got to get creative like that. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, you got some good fundraising ideas, Hal. I like that, although the, I can think of eight other teams in the league who will say very quickly, wait a minute. <laughs> You well, get with to them. declare yourself a champion <laughs> when you've won a championship Ah, whatever. Game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyhow bob thanks a lot for uh for uh, having a conversation with me about this because man people are talking about it what are we going to do about the cfl and it it will be i i'm with you i don't think the league's going anywhere but boy it'll be a tough year if they don't play any games and it's looking like at the very least they'll be delaying games and maybe it sounds ambrosi sort of talk like probably not going to have a season yeah i'm i'm more pessimistic now about any games this year than i've ever been but Hal, the thought to me of there not being football at IG Field and at Mosaic Stadium in Regina in June, July, August, September, and October, uh, that's not a Canada that I ever want to see. Yeah. Bob, have a great weekend. Thanks a lot for this. You bet, Hal. Bye-bye. Fishing season opens tomorrow. Todd Longley, the rock and roll fisherman from City Cats, joins us on the phone. Todd, it's been a long time. How are you? How you doing, Hal? Long time no see. Yes. Well, we still can't see each other, but it's nice to hear your voice. Hey, I'm curious, before we get into fishing and all that stuff, how did your hair uh, manage through the pandemic until the hair salon opened up? Because you got a nice head of hair, man. It's just a little longer. It still looks great for a 54-year-old. <laughs> You're 54? You really do look good for 54. I'm 56, and I look like I'm 86. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> it's all good. Have hey, your rocket until it falls out. There you go. That's why they call you the rock and roll fisherman. Um, Todd, uh, fishing season tomorrow. I want to talk to you a little bit, though, about your uh, business, City Cats. The website is citycats.ca. You're one of the more popular charter guys. I don't imagine you're getting a lot of phone calls, eh? Oh, no, everybody's holding onto their wallets. And with the borders being closed right now, 
I had to push all my Americans to 2000 or 2021. It's, it's horrible. It's just horrible. Now, but, would uh, you be, I'm would hoping you it'll be, change. would you be Sorry. busy, uh, heading into, or is it real early for you or would you be busy kind of starting this weekend into next week? I should be starting this weekend going into next week. Cause this time of year normally is really good catfishing. They're, uh, moving up to the locks to spawn and, uh, and they're chowing down on lots of uh, gold eye and stuff, so it's really good catfishing. A lot of people book, but the water is high for one, so I couldn't get out there if I wanted to anyway. And uh, like I said, nobody's booking right now. Everybody's staying home, and uh, it, it is what it is. Um, I just look at it this way. We're all in the same boat. It's not just me that's suffering. Everybody is. All in the same boat, pun intended, I guess. Yeah. Now, how does that work with you having a boat? Can you have other people on your boat? I, I think you can, right? There's no, uh, like, solid restrictions in place preventing you and a couple of buddies from being in a boat, is there? No. Uh, for Well, there is restrictions, but um, what it is is this. Uh, I can have a family in my boat. I just have to be... Uh, maintain a six foot distance from them. So I've got a really long net and uh, I'll also have face masks and uh, hand sanitizer and all that stuff in my boat. So family can stay together and be close to each other and fish at the back of the boat. And then when they get a fish on, they can just sort of maneuver it close to me and then I'll net it and then uh, take the photos and release it. Now, if it's two individual people that, that don't live together, they have to, one would stay at the back of the boat and the other one would have to go to the front of the boat and I would stay in the middle and because uh, I have a 20 and a half foot boat. So I'm able to social distance from them and still net their fish. Uh, that's basically it. As long as I uh, adhere to the rules and regulations of social distancing, I can operate. Gets complicated though, eh? It is, it is. It's, it's just, I, I just want things to go back to normal. I'm kind of depressed about the whole thing. But it is, like, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. I think, you, you know what, Todd, you're right. We all, I think, want, after weeks and weeks of this, we all just want some normalcy. And uh, um, let's talk about what you love, fishing. Uh, how do you catch a catfish? What that You said that now's a great time to be fishing for them as people get ready to go out this weekend. What's the secret to catching a catfish? This time of year, you want to go down to the locks. You want to have a bobber with a tiny hook. And you want to and just tip it with a uh, um, a worm and catch gold eye. And then once you catch some gold eyes, you chop them up into little steaks and you put them on a catfish hook. Cast those out and they they sit on the bottom with a catfish rig. And you're going to nail the catfish one after another. They're just feeding heavy on gold eye this time of year. Love it. Hey, uh, any thoughts on this uh, $4.50 fee that this American company is getting paid for people getting their fishing licenses and hunting licenses online? That's horrible. And it, just just so you know, you have to buy your fishing or you have to get your you got to buy your fishing license online. Now, people, you can call, there's a helpline. I have the number if you'd like it. If you don't have a computer or a printer, or you could go to a place like Cabela's, and you can just go there, pay for it, and they'll print out your fishing license or your hunting license, whatever you need, right there and then. Give me the number because I've got people asking. That's why I was asking because I've got people oh, yeah, wanting to know how to do it if they can't go online. 
1203. That's correct. Excellent. And if anybody missed that, just email me, hal at cgob.com, or text me at 204-780-6868, and we'll get you the number. Todd, I really hope things get back to normal. Really nice chatting with you again, though, pal. Absolutely. Let's hook up for a beer one day. You bet. We'll do it. Todd Longley, okay. the rock and roll fisherman, citycats.ca. That's his uh, website. Help the guy out if you can. Uh, he is, uh, if not the best, one of the best in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. Absolutely. Citycats.ca. Todd Longley joining us. And because it's Friday, it's time for Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He joins us every Friday between 2.30 and 3.00. DrSyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Doc, how are you? Very good, very good. How are you doing? Excellent. Hey, uh, before we get to the uh, stuff we've uh, prepared uh, here to talk about today, in the news meeting this morning, uh, we were chatting about kids, you know, and homeschooling and and all that kind of stuff. Something uh, that I was asked to ask you, and I think it's a good question, and you deal a lot with kids Mm-hmm. Should we be worried, uh, you know, I, I've read experts that say, listen, don't worry too much about the kids and their education and schooling. Do your best and they'll be fine. What about socially, Doc, if it's a lonely, uh, an only child or even if they, you know, have a brother or sister and, and there are more of them than just one, they're not just a lonely child. What about socially? Will Will they be okay socially, Doc? Well, you know, I mean, I've had people ask me before, you know, can you recommend us for homeschooling or something like that to a school division? And I have to say it's challenging because uh, there's no standardization. So every home is different. Every parent is different. Every situation is different. Every child's different. So it's really tough to make general statements about homeschooling. The idea of having, a, you know, a few days, a few weeks uh, without as much social contact, uh, you know, wouldn't generally be, you know, too concerning to me. However, I know that there's some children uh, out there that are really thriving uh, now that they're at home. And I have a lot of my uh, client caseload for kids uh, kind of telling me, wow, you know, Cyrus, things are actually going pretty good. Maybe I'll call you when we're back in school. Um, so, you know, that's a reality that we should be aware of, uh, that things are going well for many. But I also know that there's uh, a lot of people who are, have, um, you know, less uh, you know, great situations at home. And those kids may be really struggling. And uh, so the general answer would be, I don't, I'm not too concerned about kids, you know, spending a little bit more time on their own. In fact, maybe it's good to have some variety in your life and learn how to, you know, keep your own company. Um, I think parents need to try to make up the difference in some ways and try to stay connected with their friends in other ways. But uh, I'm not too concerned. But I also know that, that homeschooling in some situations isn't great. Isn't that interesting, eh, that uh, many of the parents you deal with are finding it okay? And mm-hmm. that just at first glance says to me, Maybe these parents need to be more invested in their kids' lives once we get through this pandemic. Uh, you know, I really think that there's actually going to be an uptick. I'm not sure how big. I'm, I'm, this would be my guess in homeschooling because I think a lot of parents are realizing that some of the social stress, some of the you know dynamics at school, uh, you know, and being able to pay more close attention to their kids at home and and you know case schooling and give more individual attention to their education is benefiting their kids greatly. Um, and uh, so I think that some of these parents are going to, are probably going to pick up on that and say, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder if we should be giving, you know, our kid 
uh, a bit of a different type of life here, uh, and uh, they may not be heading back to school. So we'll have to see. I, I don't. I don't know if that's going to be a general trend. I mean, sometimes I only see you know certain parts of the population, so I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Yeah, and I know you homeschool your kids, and, and you're mm. a big believer in that, and we, we've talked mm-hmm. about that before. Okay, on to uh, the stuff that we had prepared to talk about. Sure. Uh, here's our first headline. How people react to the threat of disease could mean COVID-19 is reshaping personalities. Explain this one. I can see where that's the case, but explain it for us. You know, I found this really interesting. I thought they it was just so cool that they already have research about this. So um, they have research showing that, you know, if you, if you, uh, you know, measure a person's basically their extroversion, how much they like to interact with people, how they interact with people, and then you expose them to information about diseases and contagious diseases and things like this, they become less extroverted the next time you test them. They're more likely to, to answer that, hey, maybe I'm not going to be as, you know, getting together with people, they start to look at other people with more suspicion. Uh, negativity starts to increase towards other people. So this is just kind of, you know, a moment-by-moment kind of research where you can see changes depending on if people have been talked to uh, recently about disease. So, I mean, you would imagine that for the moment, people are not just kind of obeying government uh, guidelines and things like this or reacting out of fear of disease, but they may actually be viewing other people now because of all this information about diseases, they're viewing other people more negatively, more suspiciously, uh, mm. and things like that. And that makes sense. But then what they've also shown is that in areas where there's been more of a history of infectious disease, there's less extroversion. So people in countries where there's been a history of problems and, and uh, you know, with diseases, people are more likely to uh, separate themselves from other people to be less social uh, with other people. So it, there's a moment, you know, a moment by moment impact now on how people are viewing each other, very likely. Uh, but there could be a worldwide impact on the levels of social, um, levels of how much people even want to socialize after this. Not so much mm. like, you know, it might, not, it might not go back to normal. It might not go, not, not go back to normal because people don't even want to get together after this, not because the government's telling them not to. You know, and I wonder, too, like here in Manitoba, you know, we've had low numbers for the most part. Seven mm-hmm. people are dead. That's tragic. But uh, we've had low numbers. And I know that tomorrow there's a, a lockdown protest planned. I'm curious to see how many people go out for that, because I think where we're seeing some real pushback against government in these COVID-19 restrictions or in areas where the virus has been much worse. And we've been pretty lucky compared to other areas here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. It is going to be interesting to see kind of what people's feelings are about this. I think it, you know, it might, I don't know, everybody's getting their own experiences talking to people. Uh, I think that uh, it's quite varied for, in my experience. And I think that's true for a lot of people I talk to and that you know, everybody has a very different opinion about what should be happening now. And I believe that there is a strong uh, group. I don't know how large of, of people who are feeling that this is something that uh, the government has gone too far with. Yeah, and I don't know as though it's, uh, and I think that's just people, some people have a bigger problem with being told, you know, some people are are more about less government and, and don't mm-hmm. like government getting involved in their lives generally, and I don't know if it has to do so much with the virus and, and the health concerns as, you know, government or officials telling uh, people what to do. Anyhow, I thought that was uh, sort of mm-hmm. tied into what we were talking about there. Uh, next headline, no wonder isolation is so tiring. All those extra tiny decisions 
are taxing our brains. And I'll tell you just from personal experience, I can get through my day. Uh, and listen, I'm, I've said before, I'm lucky. I'm working from home that I'm so lucky in so many ways. So don't, please don't get me wrong. But at the end of my day, sometimes little things will just kind of set me off. You know, it'll just, it'll be like that straw on the camel's back. And little things do become bigger deals, don't they? We, you know, human beings are generally cognitively, I mean, you could call them cognitively lazy. And I, I don't know if that's really a negative thing. I'm not saying it in a negative way. It's just we are, we are constantly looking to conserve resources. Our brains are structured to conserve resources because it takes so much energy. So that's why we create patterns and habits and, and routines in order to make our lives easier. If we had to actually walk through just a single morning and make, make up a whole new routine, it's, it's overwhelming. Uh, it's amazing how much we can do without actually thinking all that much about it. And when you enter into a world like this, you're recreating so many systems and norms, uh, so many things that were just automatic before now require thought. And so even though they aren't big decisions all the time, although there are a lot of big decisions people are having to make, uh, just the regular small decisions of like, oh, okay, oh, I'm going to stop. No, don't go too close. You know, like, what do I do here? Right. And oh, I can, you know, and, and there's so many things like that that we're having to think through. Uh, just doing the normal stuff is is definitely overwhelming. And people can start to drift into apathy. Uh, they can start to just kind of drift. Uh, when they look at people in survival situations, when they have to, if everything's been changed on them and they don't know what to do anymore. Uh, they're overwhelmed with all of the decisions and the hopelessness. They can go into this apathetic, not doing anything, even though their life uh, is at risk if they don't. And so... Uh, that's what we want to help people with. We want to help people to continue to engage in some way in their life and not be overwhelmed by all these small changes that change uh, so much and make us so tired at the end of the day. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.